All right. So um, a new Aldi opened near me uh, over on Lark Lexington and Larpenter. And um, do you guys shop at Aldi at all? When uh, I'm down in Chicago, but not uh, not too often up here. Up here. The North Minneapolis one has been boarded up and closed. So okay, so, but, uh, but I have shopped there. Yeah, the one I normally shop at is is over on Lexington and University, and that one is also boarded up and closed. Um, but they opened a new one on Lexington and Larpenter, and it is uh, fucking amazing. Um, the aisles are ridiculously wide. Everything is like there's signs hanging down, so you can see where shit is, and it's not just like shit thrown into wherever it can fit, um, which is sort of the staple of Aldi and part of the reason why Aldi is so goddamn cheap and great. Um, but yeah, so I went to the Aldi and bought a swimming pool the other day for my kid um, because when at Aldi, why not spend $9 on a fucking swimming pool, right? Nine twenty-five because you got to pay for the cart. No, carts are free right now because of uh, COVID. Oh. They wipe them down for you and everything. Wow, bonus. You want me to be that type of dude And I want to be who you like me to But we both know I can't do nothing at all another crazy week welcome back dan glad to have you back in the podcast this week yeah it's good to be back it uh i mean it, it beats on beating out on uh, neighborhood patrol <laughs> right um we don't have bill again bill uh we'll, we'll get to bill in a second but also mj is here mj good to see you nice to see everyone uh dan thank you so much for the work you did on neighborhood watch i just was on a zoom uh drinking uh call last night with some friends and uh one guy lives near uh is it pimento i believe oh yeah on eat street yeah 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 so like just kind of around the midtown area and just things that he and his friends and roommates had to do to help defend and protect whether it was homeless people or other you know just people that were there causing from not the neighborhood that were causing no good whatsoever and just the stories he had to tell were um, were amazing and it's just like yeah I don't feel like I can do that right now. Um, thank you guys. Thank you all you allies for doing that shit. So. I was, uh, I was really amazed at our neighborhood. Like I, we don't really know a ton of our neighbors that didn't, um, but everybody really like banded together. And I was, I was definitely afraid it was going to end up in like a next door situation where it starts mm -hmm. off as like a really cool, we're all rallying around a claw, a, a cause, not clause. And uh, then like, two comments later it gets super racist but it didn't and people were super cool and uh one night we had a guy who just got like pass out drunk and we're like okay like let's make sure this guy gets food and it's like oh my gosh like my neighbors are totally great so it was uh it's not exactly the way i would have chosen to meet the neighborhood but i met some cool folks doing it so that's awesome yeah i went around and like got all the name all the numbers for uh the young people in my neighborhood 
and so now we have a, sig- a signal group. Uh, and then I was like, all the old people, I was like, eh, you know, whatever. Whatever happens to them, happens to them. So um, let's be frank, though. You got those numbers because you're looking for a connect. That's no, no. Well, <laughs> most of them are actually looking to connect with me uh, for. <laughs> Uh, um and we don't have bill unfortunately bill uh that man is like cursed in 2020 um more than the rest of us theoretically he will be back next week he really wanted to be back this Mm -hmm. week but uh circumstances did not uh do not allow that to happen so um we're gonna have brian coleman in a hot second but before we do that um i just want to say again um mj and i talked about this last week on the podcast, obviously the George George Floyd protests are still ongoing, um, and I just you know want to say we we stand in solidarity with everybody, everything that's happening, all the people who are out there protesting. I just saw today that uh, the uh, Minnesota Health Department is going to be opening up some additional testing spots. So if you've been out in the protests, you've been helping at a, a food shelter, things like that, please please find a way to go get tested if you can um, sometime soon. Um, I just saw someone from Bethlehem Lutheran tested positive. They were there on actually on May 31st on my birthday, a couple weekends ago. So, or a weekend ago. So, um, you know, if you've been out doing the things, please go get tested. It's really important that we you know, make sure everybody's safe. We don't want any, we don't want to lose anybody. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that this, the president of the St. Paul school board who was like 31 years old passed away today or yesterday from COVID so it's really you know uh, marnie jong right marnie jong yep and had, I've, I've met her, i met her like one time um she was she was amazing and i think she had a really she clearly had a a, a knack for and cared about people um so you know it, it can affect everybody not just your 89 year old grandmother and grandfather like it can affect us and you know we're right we're still in that you know we're clearly three of us are clearly in that like less affected demographic, but we're still not, you know, it, it definitely don't take any chances. So if you were out protesting, um, please go get tested. Um, consider donating to any one of the myriads of organizations that have been doing some work. Um, the Northsiders Fund is working with uh, businesses in North Minneapolis. Um, obviously the We Love Lake Street folks with the Lake Street Council. And then um, as I mentioned last week, I, I'm doing work with the Neighbors United Funding Collaborative and we would definitely appreciate any of support that you can send our way as well. So, so yeah. And then, I mean, I guess in terms of like getting back to regular things, I am hoping to get a newsletter out. Uh, I sent out a newsletter like two and a half weeks ago with the idea that this would be like a regular, you know, every week or maybe twice a week thing. Um, and, you know, kind of shit blew up. So I have some stuff compiled. I'm hopefully going to write that this week. Uh, you can, if you're interested in subscribing to the newsletter, it's totally free. Um, the Daves I know um, probably be kind of like 50% soccer, 50% other weird random shit. So if you have weird random shit that you find and you want to send it to my, send it to me, please do. So, um, with that, uh, you guys have anything else you want to, you want to add? Shout All out to everybody. Shit that I could find, uh, would be in my neighbor's yard because they have a dog, but they clean up after the dog. So. I'm just not gonna have a lot of. I don't want to see your. I don't see that dog's weird shit though. That's yeah, it. I'm not gonna have a lot of random shit to send you. That's fair. I'm all for re- recurring segments, but I'm gonna put my foot down on that one. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, shout out to everybody who maxed out the dark clouds matching donations in one night. That was awesome to see. Yes, and all the people who donated uh, vis-a-vis the hot clouds, they uh, they basically sold out of their growl or their uh, their bombs. Bomb- um, I can't remember exactly how many Christians said it was, it was in the twenties. 
they raised uh, over over two thousand. I think it was like twenty three hundred dollars for the Neighbors United Funding Collaborative. So um, people that are near and dear to our hearts and, and the Dave's Annual Hearts. So yes, please keep supporting them. Um, uh, GiveMN.org slash story slash NUFC is the direct link if you want to, if you haven't yet and you want to donate to the Neighbors United Funding Collaborative. So um, thanks for everybody for doing that. And uh, without further ado, we're going to jump into our interview with uh, the one, the only, Mr. Brian Collins. You want me to be that type of dude and I want to be who you like me to, but we both know I can't do nothing at all. All right, and we are we have a very special guest tonight on the Dave's NL podcast, um, Brian Coleman. Uh, I, I gotta are the Coleman's now like the first family of Minnesota soccer? Or is that is that still the Lagos's? Uh, I don't know. It's still debate, still debatable if you ask me. <laughs> well, Brian Coleman is with us, uh, Minnesota Thunder Stars and United Defender. Um, Thanks for coming and, and joining us on the Dave's I Know. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I, I've been looking forward to it all day. Excellent. Andy, why don't you start? You want me to start? Yep, please. Hey, uh, so Brian, what what sports did you play growing up besides soccer? Uh, it'd probably be easier to name the sports I didn't play. <laughs> but... Uh, it started soccer. Soccer was uh, for sure the first one I played uh, since I was six years old. Um, and I think probably right around that same time got into t-ball and shortly after, you know, basketball, baseball, uh, wrestling. Um, I did those when I lived down in Omaha until I, I was 10 when I moved up here and then uh, kind of picked up all those sports again. Uh, with the exception of basketball, I decided, even though I've never been on ice skates before in my life, I wanted to try to play hockey. So awesome. did some hockey for a few years, and then uh, I played tennis with one of my good soccer buddies as well. So I think that's that's about it. Never got into lacrosse. Uh, golfed a little bit, but not organized. Um, ultimate frisbee, but just with friends in college, I think everyone goes through that phase. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so you said wrestling. Uh, how long did you wrestle? I, I I started wrestling in junior high and then wrestled through high school and in, actually into college and then coached high school wrestling for a long time. So don't you don't hear many wrestlers. Yeah, no, you you don't. But it's uh, honestly, it's as you know, it's just such a good sport uh, as far as mental toughness and a different kind of fitness. But um, I I did it. For a long time, um, up until eighth grade, um, I wanted, I kind of, I was trying to put muscle on and gain weight for soccer because I wanted to play in college. So when freshman year came around and the ninth grade coach was like, hey, we want you to wrestle at 103, and I was 110 pounds, I was like, I'm not trying to cut any weight, like I'm trying to put weight on, and, and that's kind of when I decided decided to step away from that but there's times where I wish I kind of would have done it throughout high school right on yeah I wrestled uh, 103 my freshman and sophomore year and then 
112 my junior year and 119 my senior year, then 125 in college. And I was cutting a lot of weight when I got to college. So. Yeah. I bet my, uh, my, my other brother that's been referred to in numerous articles, Brad, um, the, uh, the, the Coleman that did not play Division One college soccer, he was actually a really good wrestler in varsity from eighth grade on, uh, ended up losing in the state finals in Minnesota, which is a good wrestling state. So he had an opportunity to walk on at, at Wisconsin, but chose it. He wanted to just follow his uh, – keep working on his studies and focus on that and not have to be – cutting weight because he was a miserable bastard in high school dealing with. Oh, I was 100% a miserable bastard, bastard cutting weight from, you know, basically my, <laughs> my sophomore year on. I was a yeah, miserable person during wrestling season, so I totally understand. I get that. Um, well, MJ, we have, a, we have a question about your siblings. That's actually a really good segue. So. Yeah, we know that most of your siblings played played soccer. You just talked about Brad, who didn't play soccer but was, you know, into wrestling. My, my understanding from, you know, even hearing your sister Casey talk about different family get-togethers is that you're all fairly competitive. So I'm wondering when you're playing board games or cards, um, dictionary or charades or something like that, which one of your siblings, yourself included, is the most competitive callman? Oh, I, I, that's, that's such a hard question. I don't, <laughs> I think we are all just extremely competitive. None of us, none of us like to lose. Um, oh, and let me clear the air. Brad did play soccer. He just wasn't as good. He played throughout <laughs> high school. And still plays Memphis. Um, My bad. So they're good. I think uh, instead of answering your question about board games and card games, because I don't really know the answer, I guess maybe I'll just tell you a, a brief story about how competitive my family really is. Is uh, we got we got everyone together. God, this was maybe five years ago, six years ago, um, and played in a co-ed Christmas tournament down at Brazil Blast. Um, and it's the off season for, you know, me and I don't know, Brent maybe was playing. Yeah, I think Brent still was playing for United at the time. So it was our off season, Cassie's off season. Um, and we were like, yeah, let's, let's get a team together. And, you know, we kind of brought some significant others, like my sister, Crystal, her, her husband, Andy Seidel, coaches for Minnesota United Development Academy. And, you know, Eric Miller was there, but he didn't want to play and get hurt, so he was like the coach. But uh, we started playing, and we a few of us had some beers before, you know, because it's college soccer, and I maybe was included in that. Maybe my brother-in-law was pouring beers through the uh, through the netting, you know, when we were the ball went out of bounds or something. But we ended up playing a team that had like warm-up jackets and like took it just a hundred percent serious um pretty early into the game there was a hard foul and words exchanged and they just kind of set the tone to where my sister kylie was almost verbally threatening one of the girls and there were multiple occasions where punches were about to be thrown uh we had to get one to uh 
that if we didn't knock it off, they were just going to make both of us forfeit and kick us out of the tournament. Well, turns out that this team is actually Brent's girlfriend's family. The Scanlins, another Minnesota soccer family. Um, yeah, it got it got pretty brutal for for that day, and there was maybe some uh, some hatred for a little bit before we got over it and ended up playing against each other the next year, and that that kind of killed the rivalry because the next year we were like took it serious and no one had any beverages before and we just blew them out of the water, but that was uh. It was an interesting night in a pickup soccer game over Christmas that I think just shows you how competitive the family is. Great story. Yeah. So, uh, so tell us, so obviously you played, uh, when you guys moved up to Woodbury, you played soccer at uh, Woodbury, uh, and then you went to Jacksonville, which um, is, uh, I've been to Jacksonville several times. It is a, a shithole as far as I'm concerned. What were you yeah. Uh, you know, Jacksonville is, uh, I love Jacksonville. I had a great time there, man. Uh, but you're right. There, there's definitely some, some pockets that are a shithole or that are definitely strange. But, you know, we, we spent a lot of time, uh, the campus is 20 minutes away from the beach. So we That's spent right. a lot of time going to the beach my my junior year me and one of my roommates mark uh we were he was like hey i found a, a two-bedroom two-bathroom duplex that's a mile away from the beach and it's cheaper to, than living on campus like do you want to do it and i was like for sure so i literally set up my schedule to where i, I only had classes monday wednesday and friday so if we didn't have soccer practice, I just stayed out at the beach all day. So that that was like a highlight of my time in Jacksonville. Great people. I met some great friends that I still still keep in touch with. But uh, you know, we were either on campus or at the beach, so not really going into some of the other areas that we shouldn't have been or that people don't want to go into. That's fair. I was I was down there for a, a work thing years and years ago. I went for a run with some couple other uh, people were down there we all flew in from different parts of the country and we, we went for a run and we saw like several alligators on like the running path i was like fuck this i'm uh, this, no hard pass the guy who like owned the company lived down there yeah, so. uh, went down there several times it was, our, i got spooked a couple times from armadillos uh razor snakes or what do they call them black racer snakes uh yeah there's we would see, um, oh, shit, why can't I think of the name of them? Like, they're underwater cows, basically. Manatees. Manatees. We'd see manatees all the time because the, the campus is right on the river, so we'd go over and fish in the river. Um, but for those of you guys that haven't been to Jacksonville, the time to go is Florida-Georgia weekend. Every year, Florida and Georgia play football in Jacksonville. And I think it's still considered the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. It's uh, It makes that weekend is pretty awesome. We would always end up having soccer games that weekend, and our coach would be like, you can't go out, but we'd always find a way to get down there somehow. Right. So, then, um, so what brought you to Creighton from there then? Um, honestly, it was uh, – 
it was kind of a bad situation. So going into my junior year, we we got a new coach. He he was the women's coach, and uh, long story shorter, um, apparently we had these twins on our team whose dad played in like the senior PGA tour and had a little bit of money. The program did not have money, so the word on the street is the the men or the women's coach was friends of this dad and. When the job kind of opened up, they kind of kicked our, our coach out. We had a bad year my sophomore year. And, and this guy got the job, and all of a sudden we got new uniforms and we got shoes and all this gear, and we thought everything was going to be so sweet. And the, the new coach kind of took my, took my armband away. Um, that was given to me uh, spring of my sophomore year, believe it or not. Um, gave it, yeah, gave it, gave it to one of the dads or one of the twins, um, and then he, I was, I was promised a full scholarship my my last year, and he didn't give it to me. And then actually, I I played the whole junior season with a separated shoulder. I didn't miss one game. Um, and after the year, he he pulled me in the office and he's like, I want you to take the spring semester off and I want you to decide if you really want to come back for your senior year. Now, this was the same time he told me he wasn't going to give me a full scholarship. Um, he's like, I, if you want your release, I'll give it to you. And, and I just said, give me my release. And he's like, what? Like, didn't really think I was going to do it. And I was like, I want my release right now then. And I, I'm not going to leave until I get it. He gave me my release, and I called my dad and said, hey, Dad, I just got my release, and I explained what happened. And he wasn't a fan of the coach anyway, and I, he said, find, find somewhere to play. It doesn't matter how much. Like, you want to try to play pro soccer, I'll, let's make it happen. So I just uh, – at the time, I, I reached out to a bunch of buddies from Minnesota that I – that I grew up playing with, um, I kind of figured that'd be the best way to get into a team and at least to have someone, you know, on a team that I that I knew and I wasn't just trying to find something completely random for a season and a half. So I got in touch with uh, Andrew Peterson, who later on played played a couple years for the Thunder as well, or for sure a year, maybe two, um, before going to Columbus. And then, or actually, did he come to? Maybe he came to the Thunder after. I can't remember, but um, I got in touch with him. Got in touch with my best friend since I was nine years old, who played baseball at Missouri State, and got in touch with a guy from Wisconsin. Uh, Missouri State really wanted me. Um, Wisconsin wanted me to come walk on. And then Creighton was like, we just lost a center back and a center forward to the MLS draft, and we're bringing everyone else back next year. Like, we'd love to have you. So it was kind of a waiting game just to make sure I could get into Creighton. And then uh, Missouri State would have been my would have been kind of my fallback just to go hang out with my best friend that was a baseball player for the last year and a half. But. Probably, probably a good thing that that didn't happen. I'm not sure how many, how much class I would have gotten to. And I mean, Creighton is just an unbelievable soccer school. So that's and being from Omaha, that was obviously my first choice. Oh, for sure. I think the Omaha connection was the reason. But it, clearly, yeah, it's awesome. And then you guys, you, 
jumped right in and, and pretty much took over that job, and you guys made it to the, the regional finals, right? Yeah, we lost uh, lost in the Elite Eight in the last the last thirty seconds of the game to Clemson, but we went on uh, went on a great crazy ride. We were, you know, we had a we had a, a good year, but back then they played in the Missouri Valley Conference, which is a small conference, so most of the time you you had to win the conference tournament to get into uh, to get into the tur- the NCAA tournament and. Our strength of schedule was not very good. The, the teams like Memphis, we played Memphis that was unbeaten at the time, and we beat them 3-0. And then they had and ended up losing their next, like, four. So our strength of schedule wasn't very good. So at the time that the seedings came out, we were ranked, like, 12th in the country, but we did not get one of the one of the seats. So we had to play the first round against Lafayette at home and beat them Three zero, and then we went on the road to Duke. It was just an unbelievably good team. They had, I think, four or five guys go MLS that year. Um, we we came from behind and beat them two to one, and just defended our asses off the whole game. And then we went to Penn State and absolutely smashed Penn State three to one. Uh, wasn't really wasn't really a close game. We just balled out, and then yeah, in the Elite Eight we lost to Clemson one zero in the last thirty seconds of the game on a free kick. Yeah, that's awesome. So then, uh, then you turned pro with uh, the Thunder. Um, tell us a little bit about that experience. Like, there was, I, I was reading some stuff. And I was like, there was a draft, and I totally. I was not really paying attention to Metro soccer at that point, so um, you know. Yeah, that was uh, that was funny. So, I mean, obviously, <clears throat> they used to have uh, a pro am tournament from the time I was in high school and through college. So, even in high school, I'd be one of the young kids. But they would they do a little tournament over Christmas break where they'd be a couple, you know, Thunder guys or college guys or ex-pros or just good local players or guys that are coming back from wherever they were playing and have Minnesota ties. And so I've always, I was always kind of playing that and kind of knew that the Thunder maybe was an option. Um, maybe while, while I was in college, uh, they had a thing called Pro, um, Thunder Project 25. So they, they would invite players that were under 25 years old, but most of us were still either in college or high school. They would just train a couple times a week. So, you know, I got, got through my senior year, um, didn't really know if, if anything would happen with MLS or not. Uh, and it did not. Um, and I was just down in college and kind of hanging out with my, you know, living the college life still and, I remember that day my mom called me about something and was kind of bitching at me about whatever it was. And we got off the phone and she called me back a couple hours later and we were having some beers at the house, getting ready to have a party. And I call him like, what mom, you know, like, what, what do you need now? What did I do wrong now? And she's like, why didn't you tell me? And I'm like, tell you what? And she's like, you were drafted by the thunder today. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Like they have, they have a draft, you know, and so I get off my phone and like my buddies are like, what's going on? And 
like, I was drafted by the Thunder today. They're like, what? So they didn't know that there was a draft either. So just having a party kind of turned into, like, a celebration for Brian getting drafted party. And uh, the coach called me the next day and was like, hey, Brian, we're here. back then it was Amos. Amos McGee's first year is going to be the head coach. So. Yeah, I was going to say, it's Amos, yeah. And then, yeah, he's, he's like, we're going to have, you know, our preseason in a couple of weeks, and do you think you can get off school and make it? And I said, yeah, it actually falls on my spring break, so I'll only miss a week and made it happen. And, uh, yeah. Did you did you go back That's and finish, finish your schooling? or? Uh, I did not. So I went, I finished. I, I was, like, coming up and training a little bit. Um, Amos asked me. I I I somehow made the 18 my first the first game of the year which happened to be on my birthday uh, my 20th or 21st birthday no sorry yeah 22nd birthday um so I get I came up I end up playing in that game and then I went back to school for like another two weeks so I finished that year um. But I, when I transferred, I lost a ton of credits. Oh, yeah. So I, I finished off that year playing, and I missed – I was late till the first – this uh, fall semester, um, so I did not take any classes that fall semester. I just went back to Creighton and was, like, training with the team and stuff a little bit and, and hanging out, doing work for my grandma, stuff like that. Um but I did enroll back into the spring. So Amos, Amos was like, you know, we want to pick up your option. And I told him I'm back in school. So I was going to, you know, be, be a month late. I'd miss preseason or whatever. And he's like, yeah, no problem. Just let us know. Well, I got, I ended up was training and like playing on three different men's league teams, trying to get to start back up. And I ended up tearing my, my MCL. I had bad tackle at Augsburg College playing against, uh, I can't remember the team we were playing, but I oh. tore my MCL. So that's why I ended up taking a year off. And, and that year I just started, uh, I started, got back in the gym, started running, started lifting a lot. Um, I told my mom and dad, like, not playing soccer that year just kind of killed me. And I said, I was like, I, I'm not going to go back to school. Like, I can't do it right now. When I want to try to make a run at playing. And they were on board with it. They said, you know, you can't just live at home and go work out and go play soccer. Like, you got to get a job. So I worked uh, – I got a job at Anderson Windows working working at, uh, on the assembly line, whether it was – there was three different shifts. So sometimes I was working throughout the night, and then I'd – head straight to the gym and work out and played on a couple men's league teams. And that ended up working out perfect. I got a, we, they, they kind of hire like seasonal people and, and they, they let a bunch of people go, laid a bunch of people off. And it was, it was like a week before preseason started in 2008. So Amos invited me back in for preseason and I was able to, get another contract and, and continue to play again. I was just saying, like, we, we, we just chatted with uh, Matt Benoco a week ago, and he was basically like, he got the call out in Maryland and he said, fuck it, I'm, I'm leaving. And he was like, all right, I'm gone. 
So, I'm curious. So. Yeah, so they, uh, that year in 2008, um, they had they had their combine, right? And so I, I was like, Amos, do you want me to come to the combine? And he's like, no. He's like, well, we're going to have like a few days of the combine, and then we're basically we're going to bring some of the local guys that was was on the team last year, like Dale Weiler um, and some of those guys. And, we're you know, the better kids from the combine. So – so I, I got in at like the day three or four or whatever the combine where where they kind of got rid of all the scrubs and and that was like the first time I met Matt as they split us up on the teams and just started started playing and I'm like you know like I always do when I play with the new keeper I'm like hey what's your name you know or maybe even before that I'm like hey if you call for it and you need to come and kill me from behind like go for it like if that's your ball I'll get out of the way or just go right through me and. I'm like, what's your name? And he's like, just call me goalie. And I'm like, or call me keeper or something like that. And I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's a dude. But next thing you knew, we were best friends. So Awesome. Uh, MJ? Going back to your time at Creighton, uh, this was some very minimal research I did right now. Uh, Andrew Peterson, who you already mentioned, who played for the Thunder, played there. And at the same time, uh, some guy named Andre Gotsvinov was at Creighton at the time. Uh, uh, I missed I missed, I missed, missed playing with Gotsvinov by a year. Oh, by a year. My bad. Yep. Nope. Yeah, that uh, – he had – I was trying to get him, so obviously Creighton knew him. Um, they were interested in him right out of high school, and and I he had called me and said, "Hey, I want to come to Creighton." Um, he had a falling out at at St. John's, and some things happened there academically. I think um, he so we we he wasn't eligible to to go to Creighton that year. So Andre got his stuff together and came back to Minnesota and took some classes, got his grades up, and, and came the following year. So I, I missed Gotsman off by a year. But a funny story is is that that spring, spring or fall, actually I think it was the summer going into my to my senior year. So going into my my uh, fall season, though, the real season I played at, at Creighton is Gotsman off, and he brought his, his dad, Sergey, down they came in on a visit. So, you know, coach took me and Andrew Peterson and Andre out for a nice meal. I mean, he took us to this place uh, down on, down on the Missouri river. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a really good, like steak food and uh, steak and seafood restaurant. And I was like, coach, you know what, what can we spend or whatever? He's like, Brian, he's like, you get whatever you want. Right. So I got like the tuna steak, like a $40 plate and, Coach is like, yeah, I'm going to get the tuna steak, too. That sounds good. And Andrew Peterson got a big ribeye, and Gossinoff got, like, cheese curds and a hamburger or something like that. <laughs> but that uh, that was in the afternoon or, you know, lunchtime. And then that night, a bunch of the guys that were in town, uh, we got done with uh, camp, and we were going to we were gonna go play pickup. And so Sergey and, got, and, and Andre came down, and, Andre was as good as he always was and fit right in. And Sergey, 
Sergey's like uh, Bob Warming knew knew who Sergey was, and he's like Sergey, you want to play? And he's like, no. He's like, I don't have any shoes. And Bob told our equipment manager to go upstairs and get him some shoes, so he went and got him a brand new pair of Adidas, and and Sergey laced them up. And I mean, Sergey was probably 50 years old at the time, and he was nutmegging Division One players and. It was he was incredible, man. I I couldn't believe that that I knew he was good, but he still had it being that old. Uh, played for the Belarusian national team, if I remember correctly. Yep, played in Germany, and yeah, he was uh, he was a big deal. A guy that used to coach at Woodbury back when I was growing up, and my mom was uh, volunteered for the soccer club. She was vice president. She um, he told her a story. This guy was like a Romanian goalkeeper and. He said that he was at an airport one day, and and all of a sudden people were like Sergey, Sergey's here. People were just running to to go see the Belarus national team because they knew that Sergey was there trying to get his autograph and stuff. So he was a he was a big deal. And Gotsmanov, uh, Andre told me one story is they were they were in Detroit once uh, visiting family. They used to always go like on these road trips and hit up a bunch of Belarus families that they knew that from back in the day that were living in the States now. And they happened to be in Detroit and Steve Yeiserman and one of the other Russians were there and they came up to get Sergei's autograph. Wow. Yes. So that just goes to show you how crazy that family was, man. That's awesome. Um, so can we circle back to, to Matt Van Oakel? So obviously you guys uh, formed a, a very, uh, a bond, if you will. Um, and I, I, and I, as a, as a former, I was never a soccer goalkeeper, but I was a hockey goalkeeper, you know, yep. very, very young. And, and just generally I tend to play either defense or goal. So I'm, I, I say this with the utmost respect. Um, is Matt Bad Uncle good crazy or batshit crazy? Um, I think he is he's good crazy. I mean, the most normal goalie I've ever met in my life was Joe Warren. But that's like it, right? Like that's yeah. that's like the only one I've ever met. So you have to be a little crazy to be a goalie, I think maybe hockey even more so, but Yeah. Uh I, he's a good crazy man. He's uh he's intense for sure. Like he he's extremely competitive and hates to lose, but but he's he's like a big teddy bear man. Like I remember when we when we'd be you know coming back from the bars or whatever after a game when we're on the road, and I'd all of a sudden get that look in my eye, and he knew it was coming, and I just I'd run over and tackle him and start wrestling him or whatever, and he would just sit and laugh and. <laughs> But he's a uh, he's he's a crazy and like uh, unique hairstyles and beards and and wardrobe and just the way he carries himself. <laughs> Coaching with no shoes on and sitting on a boombox. Um, yeah, right on. Keeping with the he's goal a good guy, man. Sorry, go ahead. Keeping with the goalkeeper theme. Uh, any words that you have to say? How would you describe Nick Platter? Whoa. Nick Platter, he was pretty normal, too. He was just a little crazy in his own way, right? Like uh, different hairstyles and 
he he was pretty down to earth, but it just uh, he was a different guy, like really into like art and stuff like that. I think he was my first teammate that I've ever really known, like just like an artsy guy, right? And like now now I talk to him almost on a weekly basis still because we're we both have gotten into woodworking and making tables and stuff. So like I'll get done with one and I'll snap a couple pictures and he'll send it over. Or likewise for him or the other day he's like asked me like he's like I think you've done some tables like this you know like how how'd you do this part or whatever and so it's kind of it's kind of fun that you know we haven't played together since 2000 2009 did he play for the stars for a year maybe 2010 but 10 years later we're still keeping in touch That's oh. awesome, man. Uh, I just want to kind of run down. This doesn't have to take a long time. I got seven teammates here that we haven't mentioned yet. And you just want to, like, say one or two words that come to your mind. One to, try to keep it to one to two year, words. Uh, it's not a religion. So if you go into three, that's fine. But I'm just going to mention some names. And you, you say some words to come to come to mind, okay? Okay. Neil Flavity. Great time. Cristiano Diaz. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Kyle Altman. Leader. Amani Walker. My brother. Simone Broccolello. Huge nose. <laughs> Miguel Ibarra. My son. Connor Tobin. Turbo. Enough yeah, said. That's, that's the right answer for that one, Turbo. Perfect. Um, so, Brian, so you obviously, you, you spent a lot of time uh, with Carl Craig uh, pre, uh, you know, during your soccer playing years and, and now. Um, what is, you know, we, we've been asking, we asked uh, Kintaro Takata and we asked, uh, Matt Van Oakle, their craziest Carl Craig stories. So I, I'm just I'm going to ask you your craziest Carl Craig story you're willing to, to put on on uh, on the record. Oh, it's probably it's probably oh, uh, what I'm sorry I didn't listen to him. Didn't did Van Oakle, Did one of them give the tooth story spitting on a tooth? Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, bottle cap tried to open a, a beer with a. With his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Matt Van Oakle did that. I guess my my, my other one that maybe hasn't been said is um, 2011, best year ever, right? We win. We win the whole thing. Uh, We go home. We're exhausted. We go out. We go out partying, and it was, like, right around Halloween. So we we ended up going to this, like, it was basically a club. It was a bar, but they, like, they had a huge open area in the middle that was a dance floor. Um, so we're like the only people not in costume there. But, you know, the oh, what was his name? Re- was the commissioner at the time Raj, Rish, something like that, Rishi, something, I don't know. They end up, we're already, you know, celebrating and having drinks and stuff. And the NASL commissioner ends up buying a couple of things of champagne and hands them out, right? So Carl Craig grabs one of the champagne bottles 
and just start puts his hands over and just starts shaking it and starts spraying it everywhere. All over these random people that are out, all over us, all over the bartenders, and we're just like dying laughing, no care in the world. And a bouncer comes over and grabs Carl. And he's like, "Hey, you can't do that!" Hey, and like trying to trying to yell at him while the music's going so no one can hear anything. And Carl just looks at him and grabs him and kisses him on his cheek. <laughs> And this, this, so this guy kind of lets him go and then, like, realizes, like, okay, this this guy's probably crazy. He's kissing me on the head. But then we're all, like, kind of around him, you know, like, hey, we're, we're celebrating. We're sorry. We're sorry. And he, he let us stay in the bar. But that was just, to me, the funniest – one of the funniest things about Carl is, like, no care in the world at the time. He's spraying this, and this guy's, like, getting ready to throw him out. And his reaction was, like, I'm just going to love this guy and kiss him on his cheek. Oh, that's awesome. That's, I mean, that's, that's Carl in a, in a nutshell, right? Like you, you can't, you can't not oh, yeah. that guy. Yeah. He's amazing, man. I'm, I'm glad that I, I work with him still. So I, I just actually, when I left the field, I, he was on the field next to me coaching. So. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that uh, partnership? You're working with Salvo right now, correct? Yep. So I'm uh, I'm the girls high performance director at, at Salvo. So I oversee. We have uh, we have a navy and an orange team that's involved in the high performance uh, from ages 13 through U19. So I oversee those teams and uh, and the coaches. And then I I coach our 07, so U13 navy team. My my team was undefeated this year. Qualified for a national event. Uh, qualified for the top regional league in uh, in the Midwest, and then all of that got canceled. So these four girls are just like devastated. We had a really good chance at winning state cup and going to regionals, and then that all everything got canceled. But um, Carl Craig is our he's our uh, director of coaching, so he oversees all of the soccer aspect of of Salvo. Excellent. And obviously you enjoy working with them, right? So. Oh yeah. It's, it's great. I mean, it's, uh, it's always nice to, you know, I, I was a guy that while he was the assistant coach, I'd always find a way uh, to sit by him on planes um, and pick his brain about things. Right. So like I was, when I was playing, I was still coaching. So, you know, as a lot of players are just on plane rides, you know, playing video games or listening to music or whatever. Um, I would do that too, but I would also sit down and, and come up with session plans for my teams or, or in the future session plans and stuff. Right. So I, I bounce ideas off Carl or get his thoughts on things. And, and I've, I've always learned probably, uh, you know, as far as my professional career, he definitely had the biggest impact on me as a coach and, and now being able to work with him and, and still continue to learn from him has is, is just been awesome. Um, unsurprisingly, uh, both Kentaro and uh, Matt Penelope almost, almost literally the exact same thing, man. Like, that's – Carl's had a, 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 you know, talk about, you know, families of, of soccer in Minnesota. Carl Craig's not going to be a, a, a family per se, but, like, there's going to be a lot of tree that is, is you know, branches that are going to be off the Carl Craig tree, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's kind of funny you bring this up. So we, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, 
Kevin Friedland organized uh, 2011-2012 a Zoom call. So there was a bunch of us that got on, and some people got on for a short amount of time and had to get going, or some people came on late. But we had a bunch of us in the room, and Carl was invited too. And, you know, someone someone joked around and was like, where's Manny? And, and Angie Blaker, you know, team mom, do everything, Angie Blaker, um, she sent Manny the, the Zoom link, and all of a sudden, like, we're all talking and laughing and making fun of each other and catching up, and then all of a sudden we see joining Manny Lagos, and everyone, like, kind of got quiet. You could see it, and we're like – and he got on, and he was talking for a little bit, and then he had to, he had to leave and go do something, and he came back on. But he made a, he made a comment. He's like, Carl, he's like – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a minute to figure it out. He's like, how many guys on this call right now are coaching for a living now, right? And, and it ended up being like nine or ten of us that are coaching. And and I wanted just to be a smartass and be like, Manny, like, of course, like, we all had to coach while we were playing because you guys didn't pay a shit for money. <laughs> you know, but but I, I didn't say that. But, uh, you know, I, I look at it as, it, it was great for me. Like I, I didn't know in college, I, I thought I wanted to go into marketing and go into the business world. Um, I didn't realize until I started playing for the thunder and doing camps and for the stars where I started coaching for Minnesota or for Woodbury and, and doing camps. And I didn't realize that, that that's kind of what I wanted to go into when I was done playing and stay in the soccer world. So I, I'm grateful. I wish I would have made more money playing soccer, but I am grateful that uh, that early on the team was, was able to kind of be accommodating and, and let us do both and, and actually encourage us to do both so we could actually make a living doing what we love to do. So. Cool. Um, speaking of, of that team, um, I would be remiss about asking what your favorite Minneapolis, like Minnesota soccer moment is. With the caveat being, you can't pick the winning the championship in 2011. So, what was your personal favorite at the moment? Um, not the championship. Not I would. I classify winning at home and away the year we won it, and winning at home all into one. That was just amazing. Um, oh, that's a hard. I, I don't think I can can bring it down to two um, or to one. I think I have to go with two. So yes, one would be going to Real Salt Lake, taking the money and running. Yeah. Uh, with the, That was awesome, the 3-1 victory. And I, I was able to get an assist in that one. And I was able to nutmeg Johnny Steele in that game as well. So the one that, was, uh, that was – yep, that was uh, – that was a great game. And then um, the other one was uh, the Swansea game, even though it was an exhibition game. Um, went, beating them 2-0 two two was awesome. And that was like the first game that I played next to my brother. Yeah, that's that's a really cool – and that actually that's – that's a lot of, uh, of Minnesotans' first entry into – Minnesota soccer was that game like that we we packed the Nessie for that one that was the first time the yeah, that was full and there's yep. some really pictures of just like 
you know, thousands of us just, you know, being cheered. And then she also, you know, beat Swansea, which was pretty fucking cool, too. Yeah, it was awesome, man. And, th- and that was my first inkling that, Brian, you weren't the only Coleman that played soccer. Like, and then I'm talking with Teresa Peterson, and Teresa Peterson's kind of giving the lowdown on your entire family. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have a favorite, and I'm going to classify this pretty broadly on, you You kind of got a reputation, um, Cristiano Diaz kind of got a reputation of being cheap. Uh, you kind of got a reputation of making that professional yellow card or that hard tackle when you absolutely needed to help defend your net or, you know, really shut down an attack. Do you have a favorite hard foul, yellow card, red card, or something that you took that you just – you know, maybe it was frustrating at the time, but you look back and say, yeah, that was a good thing I did. I really am proud of myself or something like that. Do you have a favorite memory in that regard? Uh, I don't know. I would say I got two answers. So the, the, the one that was actually, like, I was proud of that was impactful is um when I was at Creighton, we were playing uh, – and a lot – I've always been a hothead. I've never backed down from a challenge. I've always liked confrontation and conflict, right? So that's that's always – I got my first yellow card when I was nine years old for slide tackling the guy from behind because he stole the ball from me and I got pissed. So I've always kind of had that, that part of my game. But um, when I was at Creighton, they had a really good forward um, – that just just ran through and scored a ton of goals in the Big Ten. That and then our coaches were like, he doesn't like contact, Brian. The first time he touches the ball, light him up, right? So it's thirty. It's like twenty seconds into the game, right off kickoff, we go down and we get a corner kick. And one of my one of my roommates actually is taking the corner, and for some weird reason, he puts the ball on the wrong side of the flag. So when he goes to kick the ball, he hits the flag and he just shanks it like this is the sweet 16 and he's been playing soccer for 20 years and he somehow does this, right? Um, and I was I was at Hatfield. For some reason, I didn't go up. Well, they get a, a counterattack right away and they play this, this kid the ball and he takes like a touch like 10 feet out and it's just me and him and one other guy behind me but I see red and I'm like, this is my opportunity. And I just run full speed at him. And I get to the ball the same time I'm thinking about sliding. And I don't, I get to the ball the same time he does. And I go in with my, I go in with my foot and my shoulder. And I just, he went from standing straight up to laying flat on his back. Um, immediately the steps blowing the whistle running at me. Uh, my dad and uncle were tailgating uh, down at the, the the behind the goal line, and they're screaming, "No, that's not a card! That's not a card!" Like they were thinking I was going to get a straight red card. So my dad still will say to this day, because I he was yelling, "That's not a card!" That's why I only got a yellow card. But luckily, I did only get a yellow card. Um, but that guy was literally non-existent the rest of the the game. He never wanted to come around me. So that was for sure my probably my most impactful one that could have possibly changed the game. Um, red cards, the only one, the ones that stick out in my mind when I was playing professionally, um, 
probably aren't the ones that are good. I think, uh, I think the one that is talked about the most with my friends or my old teammates when we're connecting about and reminiscing is uh, back in 2010 when uh, I saw Andre, Andre Sarango get punched in the face and I ran up and grabbed the guy by his throat and then another guy came in and I grabbed him by his throat uh, and had two guys there, one in each arm, and then I got a red card for that one. So maybe that wasn't a – wasn't good for the team, but I'll always stick up for a teammate or a friend. Yeah, justified. All right. Especially Andre, because Andre is too – he's weak. He can't stick up for himself. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, will be re- I would be remiss if we, don't, if we don't end this interview with uh, – I can't remember if this is Matt or if this is somebody else who uh, just told me to ask you about the Roger Espinoza story. Oh, well, that's a, that's a similar story. So this would have been my last year playing. Um, going into the year, I was, I got a new contract, made more money than I, than I ever had playing. Um, but Manny, you know, was like, you know, rewarding me for being a, a good locker room person, a leader, leader on the team and, you know, showing like working hard and, and, again, just being a leader. And, but I, I was going in that year knowing that I was going to be Venegas's backup, um, which, which is always kind of hard. Right. And I, I was always trying to prove like, Hey, I can still play. Or if he has a bad game, I'm, I'm right here and I want a chance to, to earn that spot back type thing. So um, we had, we were in, we were down in Brazil, um, great experience, but again, the second team players, we did not, we did not get a lot of minutes. We didn't play in like the big games down there. Um, and then got into, you know, went down to Arizona. Um, and this was a game where, you know, the starters played the first part and I, I think we got put in at halftime or maybe like 15 minutes into halftime. Right. And, um, we're playing and, and I, it was like a shoulder to shoulder. Like I slid tackle them, whatever, clean, clean play. And we're both on the ground and he, he reaches over and he hits me and I get up and I kind of got in his face and I just pushed him a little bit. And he took, he took the butt of his hand and just hit, bopped me right on the nose. And I just snapped and had, had a hockey style, had a hold of his Jersey and just started, I just started throwing haymakers left and right, like at least four haymakers. And I, I definitely landed a couple. Um, the last one I know landed on top of his head because he was, because he was batting down. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of that. They they separated everything. Um, Brent kind of was pushing against um, Dom Dwyer a little bit. No punches were thrown there, but. They ended up calling the game. They just told everyone to leave, and we were done playing. And uh, so I think maybe some of the guys that were on the second team maybe got a little mad that they didn't get a little bit more playing time as well. But it was – you know how it is. There's always been kind of that bad blood with Kansas City, and it was a hot day in preseason in Phoenix, and 
Tempers flew and then my fist. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and, and Brent would have murdered Don. And then we would not have... Oh, yeah. yeah, we would not have uh, the, the LaRue kids to, you know, be the part of the next U.S. Men's yeah. National Team. So. Yeah, um, that, wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been a good one all the way around. <laughs> uh, hey, Brent... Or, sorry, Brian... Thank you so much for, for doing this, man. We really, really appreciate it. Where can people, if they wanna, if they wanna follow you, if they wanna get, interact with you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, uh, my Instagram, Twitter, my Instagram. When I when I retired and started my own business doing private and small group group training, I I I kind of thought I was smart, and I just moved my Instagram and Twitter handle over to football form and fitness. So. Uh, F-U-T-E-B-O-L, form and fitness. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, even though I'm not, not as uh, on it as much as I should be or as much as I used to. But they send me messages or follow me, I'll follow back, and uh, I'll respond when I get things. So, Excellent. Well, again, thank you so much for, uh, for jumping on the podcast, and uh, best of luck uh, for this season. Hopefully – Hopefully you guys get a season. That, that's yeah. It's uh, youth youth soccer is not going to happen. Uh, we're hoping we just got back on the field last week. Uh, we're hoping we can get through phase to phase four, which I think we can start doing some scrimmages. Um, but yeah, hopefully everything gets back started up in the fall and high school and all that too. Because uh, I'm the head coach at St. Thomas Academy, so I got a great group of boys and I'm. I'm really looking forward to that season. So, knock on wood. All right. Solo uh, Soccer Club, uh, St. Thomas Academy, Bowie's team, and uh, former Minnesota Thunder star. Well, I think the only person who is a Thunder a star and Minnesota United, Brian Coleman. Thanks uh, for the podcast. Freeland was there with me. Freeland was there with me, too. Freeland. But... Freeland. God damn it, Freeland. Yep. Hey, thanks well, for joining thanks us. Thanks for having me, guys. You're one of my favorites, Brian. Thank you so much. You All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. To be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to. But we both know I can't do nothing at all. All right. And we're back. Uh, thank you to Brian uh, Coleman for joining us on the podcast. Um, he has some great stories. I we, we might need to get that guy back in the podcast and tell some more stories. I, think, I feel like he has a lot more stories that he's not telling. So have to get him back on the podcast. One of the things I always liked about when I was able to talk to him, whether that was at, at timeout or at, at Ritz or what have you, was he was great at telling stories. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some uh, other soccer stuff that's happening. Uh, we're getting very, very close to uh, – to, MLS soccer, Premier League soccer. Obviously, we have uh, Bundesliga and the K-League back. So let's talk about MLS really quick. Uh, so there was the um, – in between us, we had a conversation, me, me and you, MJ, last week about the collective bargaining agreement and the team – the teams and, the, you know, the, the, the franchises and the players agreed to uh, an agreement, the CBA. Yeah. They agreed to it. We'll talk about that in a very hot second. Um, um, the team's going to have full practices. That was actually uh, stage three of the MLS uh, deal, if allowed by their state. So they need to. So Minnesota United is actually still only practicing in groups. But if teams, if uh, uh, teams have states that have ability to 
practice full team, they can do that now. Um, the biggest thing is that the there's a reduction of the Orlando tournament um, where there's only going to be three match group stages, theoretically. Um, again, there's no but there's been no confirmation one way or the other. We, we were hearing before was a five match group stage. Now it seems to be three match group stage. So we'll see. Do you guys have any thoughts on the Orlando tournament? Yeah, I think this was one of the, the big concessions the players were waiting for. I think players rightly felt like being away from their families for two months, 10 weeks, whatever it was going to end up being was a little bit excessive for what was going to amount to a stunt tournament. So getting it down to three games, I think is entirely rational. Um, and I definitely don't blame the players for pushing back until that got put into place. Also less wear and tear on their bodies, considering that they're kind of trying to jam so many games in a short period of time. I think it makes sense all around. Cool. Um, all right. Well, let's move to the, uh, the fuck MLS players part of the MLS. <laughs> um, so uh, after, after our, we did our podcast last week, uh, uh, Alexander Katai's wife, Taya Katai, uh, had some pretty racist ass and violent ass posts. And uh, he was brought in to meet with the LA Galaxy front office and they mutually agreed to part ways. Um, based on his wife's racist ass and violent ass posts. Do you guys have any, any thoughts on this? First, I, I feel like the, the context of, of the, the Taya Katai's post was showing a picture on Instagram of the police car that kind of rammed the barricade. I believe this was in New York. It might've been in LA, but I think it was in New York where a police car is ramming a barricade that was there to kind of separate police from protesters. And Teikatai says, kill the shits. But, you know, not... That's what the S dash 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 was. I, I was like trying to figure out like what racist thing she said about that, but okay. That it was the violent ass English. Post. It wasn't in English, so you had oh. to, you know, but... Yeah. And the, racist uh, one, the racist one she posted was uh, a picture of someone... <laughs> With uh, black Nikes matter was the was the post on that one. So say that again, David. Black Nikes matter. Oh, the Black Lives Matter. So um, anyway, I feel, like, uh, I feel like this has come up before that I have an irrational hatred of Alex Katai. Like I, I I've hated him since the first time that uh, United played the Fire. I'm thrilled. Apparently, I just have a sixth sense for uh, when these guys are real assholes. Yeah, yeah. no, no, it, but, it's, uh, it's, it's completely rational because. Uh, I mean, there the, the stories go back to when he was in Chicago. He refused to wear the uh, the uh, rainbow armband because Alexander Katai and his wife are kind of homophobes as well. So good on this, them for not being. Go play in Belarus. I think uh, <laughs> FC Sluts um, are sitting in sixth place right now. They need they need some fucking help. So the cynic in me says that uh, the Galaxy saw this as a way to get out from under some salary. Yep. as they're trying to clear their books this year. But honestly, you know what? They did the right thing. Maybe, oh, it, was, maybe it was the for the wrong reason. But honestly, even, like, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't care why. Like, get this fucker out of the league. Exactly. Uh, the other fucking most players, Jesse Gonzalez, has been suspended by MLS. Uh, he has, there's been some uh, domestic abuse claims. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's been suspended by MLS basically without any there's there's been no timeline or whatever he's just been suspended so um 
man, just don't, don't be fucking assholes and don't be idiots and please don't hit people, especially your significant others. How hard, how fucking hard is this? I feel like there's been a bunch of claims over the last like week or so, not yeah. even limited to the U.S. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this is a weird time for everybody, whatever. This is probably the most time these couples have spent together, most consistent time since what they were like, since the guys were 16, 17, 18. Like, these are not couples that spend long amounts of time together. And now all of a sudden they're quarantined. I like it. It is awful. I think domestic violence is up like twenty five percent worldwide, and so like it's a, a horrible epidemic. As it comes to sports, I'm honestly a little surprised we haven't seen more of it. Well, it's either that or sex parties. What up, Kyle Walker? Thanks for making the good <laughs> choice this time. Yeah, no, it, it is also all the times that that are not reported, right? So. Right, absolutely. Oh, 100%. Yeah, no, this is not this is a, a not a significant number of reportings. Um just it's really fucked up. I mean, if you can't and I know there's lots of other contributing factors, but I, again, um putting your hands on somebody is is a non-starter um period. So um so let's let's just jump over to the fuck MLS owners part of the of the segment here, and then uh, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead it. I'm gonna tee them up. Um, so we did get a official agreement with the MLS players and the MLS owners for this tournament in Orlando. Again, we don't have the details. Um, MLS players took a, a pay cut, not as significant as they as the owners were wanted. So there were some concessions there. Um, it also moved a lot of the terms of the CBA back a year. So money that would potentially be going into um, the player pool in 2023 is getting moved back. And they actually extended the agreement back to 2025. And MJ and I chatted a little bit about that, that whole stuff last week. So we're not going to um, uh, focus on that. But the biggest thing is that um, the tactics that the MLS owners use. So Dan, do you want to chat a little bit about that? Yeah. So one thing we talked about when the CBA was still being negotiated and the world hadn't started on fire in two separate accords. So back in, let's say February was that both the owners and players were being really tight lipped about the CBA negotiations. And it was very difficult to tell what was going on and how the sides were negotiating because they kept it out of the press. So that had held true through the second set of negotiations. Now that a deal is done, that, uh, let's say it's a courtesy, has broken down. So a number of players have been on the record. Josie Altidore, Chris Wondolowski, probably the most notable among them. A um, couple of guys from Atlanta. Uh, really just raking the owners over the coals. Um, talking about completely unethical negotiating tactics. Um, throwing clauses in at the last second, accusing the players of doing that when they hadn't. Uh, and the, the stuff that's coming out now is that the players are furious over this. So the CBA has been ratified. We were guaranteed labor peace for the next what is it, five years. Um, boy, you just wonder how the next CBA, because it sounds like these wounds are deep. And it sounds like it's not just these leadership players who felt it, that it's, it's being felt up and down the, the rosters. So when this has to get renegotiated again, the players are saying, 
we made some concessions now and we're coming back for blood next time around. So it'll be fascinating to see like five years and a lot of money heals a lot of wounds. The league should be much, much bigger. The slice of the pie, the, the, the slice of the pie the players get should be larger. So we'll see if this ends up being true, but the rhetoric for now, and this is the first time we've seen the players really go to the press and say, we are pissed. We are fucking furious about how this went down. So I'd be nervous if I were the owners. Yeah, I would, I would 100% agree. I mean, they definitely <laughs> – it, it looked like from all the, the, the media reports that I read was basically it was, the, it was the owners negotiating with themselves and then proposing to the players and then like places like The Athletic um, getting the leaks of those things before they got to the players, uh, The Athletic and Jeff Carlisle. And then Dom Garber, you know, Dam Grabber um, coming in with his uh, – hiring a PI firm to figure out who the leak was for <laughs> le- leaks of leaks. Um, so it was an interesting set of propositions. And I, I really, I, you know, this is a pro labor podcast. I feel like I speak for everybody on the podcast that this is a pro labor podcast and um, would support the, the players and what, if they decided to strike, I would, we would have supported the players a hundred percent. So. MJ, do you have something? Okay, or not. (laughs) Uh, Let's move on to the Premier League. So the Premier League uh, has officially, they're coming back June 17th is the first match. Um, It is the the makeup round. uh, And then we're going to jump right back into match week 30, uh, which includes the uh, Merseyside Derby. um, And... (laughs) Which, yeah, that's, that's the big uh, MJ Zeller match. Um, Liverpool City officials have postponed. So they met today. They postponed their decision on whether Goodison Park will host uh, the potentially LFC, LFC title winning match, uh, presuming Minneapolis, or, uh, sorry, Minneapolis City, uh, Man City loses against Arsenal on the 17th. If they don't lose, then the earliest that uh, Liverpool can win the title is on uh, the 17th, uh, or sorry, the 24th of June, which is, would be against Crystal Palace. So, um, MJ, what are your thoughts on uh, the Premier League coming back? I'm excited. I'm excited to see, you know, I'm excited to see Everton play again. I'm excited to have Premier League back. Um there is so much other, like, my interest in Bundesliga and K-League have kind of been renewed, where they were kind of lying dormant. So it will compete with, you know, the other mess of, of soccer football that's going on right now. Yeah, yeah we get uh, both uh, La Liga and Serie A back this weekend. So, yeah, um, Arsenal... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I say Arsenal's a team. What are your thoughts? Arsenal, Arsenal is a team, and actually, they are a notably healthier team than they were when all of this started. Um, so, Kieran Tierney is back. That's a big, big uh, success. Uh, success, big boon for the team. Let's put it that way. Uh, they played Charlton in their first uh, friendly, kind of the preseason warm up y thing. Beat them 6 0 and looked swaggy as all get out. I mean, they scored just a couple of absolute wonder goals. Um, so you, I mean, you really just wonder, like, 
for teams like Arsenal um, and some of the others that fired coaches mid-season, what are they going to do? Like, is, is this going to be ultimately beneficial? Are they going to come out hotter? Are they going to be playing more cohesively? Or are they going to completely fall apart because they haven't even played a full season in this system? So I am, uh, I am not excited that Arsenal's first game has to be against Man City. That sucks. I really, really wish they were playing – I don't know, Sheffield United or – I mean, it's not even just – Crystal the, Palace. Yeah, although Palace plays us tough. Everybody plays us tough. We're bad now. Uh, so, but but with City, you just have so little margin for error. So, yeah, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be interesting. Um, I'm going to be fascinated to see what those broadcast numbers are. Um, you know, the Bundesliga was the only game in town, and they're pulling 70x ratings. It'd be really interesting to see on a Saturday morning – that maybe used to be baseball. Maybe it was taking your kid to a, a sports tournament. And now you've got the EPL. It'll be interesting to see what their, their broadcast numbers are. Yeah. I'm very much me cheering for you guys on uh, Wednesday, the 17th, because yeah, I'm sure you are. <laughs> um, so again, without looking at a table, uh, there is one team that has the same number of, uh, same number of wins as you. And there's one team that has the same number of draws as you. Can you name those teams? Oh my gosh. One is three spots ahead of you. The other is four spots behind you. Yeah, the Arsenal has not drawn a great number of games this season. They've lost quite a bit. Um it's it's been this is one of the weirdest no, seasons. No, they've drawn a shit ton of games. That's the point. Oh. Oh, it was, la- it was last season that all of our draws were losses. Yeah. Um, all right. So they, three st- so they have 13 draws and nine wins. Which team has nine wins and which team has 13 draws? If you had to guess. I'm going to say, so you, said, you said it's who's three spots ahead of us. So it's who's in sixth. Uh, is that, is it Leicester? Uh, no, Leicester's in third. Wolves. Well, ah, Wolves, I got Wolves, Wolves and Leicester switched. Um, and then behind us. There's only one other team with nine wins. And they sit in 13th place right now. <laughs> um, 13th place, like four, but so. Is it West Ham? No, man. What? West Ham's. In like 16th, uh, it's Newcastle United. <laughs> this is this is what I say about Arsenal. Like they're so fucking weird. Because nine wins, thirteen draws. You're like, okay, that's a that seems reasonable. But it's it's when you other teams have those things separately, it, it's weird. That's why Arsenal is like sitting in ninth place right now. So ninth place, but like if the season had been normal, if COVID had Game never happened. Game in hand against Man City. So. Yeah, oh, good. Yeah, that's going to be super useful. Yeah, this is definitely going to be the type of season where Arsenal finishes, let's say, seventh. Theoretically misses out on the European places, but wins the FA Cup. I can 100% see that happening with the, the team that Arsenal has this year with how bad Unai Emery was and with how much better they look, especially now that they're healthy, having Mikel Arteta at the top. And our, so we are we're, we are in the FA Cup quarterfinal against yeah. Sheffield United. I'm very confident in that, which means, yeah, I, I'm I'll go. I'm not going to guarantee this, but I will predict that by f- pure place finish, Arsenal miss Europe. 
but get a European place based on winning the FA Cup. Oh, wow. Absolutely brilliant. And probably fucked over MJ. Uh, well, whatever. I mean, Everton, Everton are in 12th. Um, I'm not expecting a lot from them. I'm very concerned about the, the injury levels of their back four or their depth at back four because uh, due to loans and other things, uh, uh, they're, I mean, John Joe Shelby's at Schalke, you know, that there are, or John Joe Kenny, my bad. <laughs> ah, I missed that ah, one. Ah, too many John Joe's out there. Uh, John Joe Kenny's at, at, at Schalke. So th- I'm concerned about the, the health of their back four, but Dan, you, you mentioned that you're, Arsenal's game in hand versus uh, other Man City wasn't that important. How about their game in hand that they have against Tottenham, who's one point ahead of them on the table right now? Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing with Arsenal is, let's say Arsenal finished seventh. That's a pretty disappointing season. Hard to spin that into, into gold unless Tottenham finish eighth. In which case, hey, St. Totteringham Day is back on. <laughs> um, I mean, Arteta's job is not remotely in jeopardy. Like the, the way the team finishes this year, I'm not going to say is irrelevant because it will deeply impact summer spending. But honestly, if they, can, if they can get silverware in the FA Cup, if they can make even back to the year Europa League, or I don't even need all of these, I just need one of them, or finish above Tottenham, that's a reasonably successful season given that they had to ditch Emery, Emery halfway through. Oh, St. Tottenham's Day. Um, all right, a couple other things on the Premier League side. Brighton is going to be selling cardboard cutouts. Uh, this was a, a thing that I saw today. Um, is it 20, 20 pounds, uh, $25 American? If you send in a photo of yourself wearing a Brighton jersey, you can get on into one of their uh, cardboard cutouts. I'm just, I, I feel like this is a fucking no-brainer for MLS teams to raise money for local causes right like why wouldn't teams do this because it'll be that much more embarrassing when orlando still can't fill a stadium i mean there's a reason why orlando wouldn't (laughs) minnesota if minnesota united said hey where's 25 dollars um we're gonna we're gonna donate at least ten dollars of that to you know for example they they work with the neighbors united uh, neighborhood or neighbors united funding collaborative like ten dollars of that of every fan who wants to like be in their seat and then obviously the wonder wall is a whole other kind of mess of things you just kind of plop things down but like for other people who are in their seats like why won't you do that like it seems like a 100 percent no-brainer and i feel like mls generally and minnesota specifically is probably gonna screw it up yeah let's hope they don't let's hope let's hope they they see this as an opportunity to both you know help fill the stands down in Orlando with, you know, actually faces of fans and, and raise some money for, for, for some good causes. Yeah. Uh, and then on the other premier league side, uh, so that Newcastle United was sold uh, to the uh, uh, MBS faction of Saudi Arabia, which is not going as pleasantly as I think they thought it would be due to a myriad of reasons. Um, and we don't necessarily have to like hash those out right now, uh, but xenophobia being one of them. Yeah, uh, and then some some uh, illegal streaming stuff being the other the other yeah, part. Corruption of it. and yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's what's 
unbelievably stupid about this. It's not the human rights abuses. It's not the torture. It's not the slavery. It's because they quasi-sanctioned a pirate stream that is going to cost uh, the, the Saudi faction control over Newcastle. Like, seriously, Jamal Khashoggi's widow wrote an op-ed about how messed up it was and went and talked to Premier League owners and said, hey, you got to vote this down. Like, these guys are bad people. You can't reward them reward them for this behavior and it like, completely fell on deaf ears but oh no oh no if you siphon off even a thousand of our viewers for some bootleg stream you're done it really shows you who these people are yeah i mean bn sports is a is a very uh large partner of uh the epl so um the thing i saw was uh there's actually an American, uh, Henry Maurice, who's interested in sliding in if uh, the MBS bid gets uh, gets overturned. Um, he is a CEO of uh, Clear TV Limited, um, LTD, which I have no idea. I've never heard that name. So he's probably fucking terrible, would be my guess. Um, as with most Americans who make a shit ton of money, that I've never heard of are probably terrible in some capacity. So anyways, um, I know nothing about this. I mean, I I feel, I feel really bad for Newcastle fans because Newcastle fans are some of the most amazing fans I've ever met. Uh, You know, watching matches with them like here in the United States, I've never obviously been to England to watch a match. So I can't really speak to that, but like, Every Newcastle fan I know is just, it's very, it's, you know, they're, they're very, they're very much like Minnesota fans. They're very self-deprecating. They know they're going to lose eventually. Um, and the nicest fans you ever, you will ever meet. So I feel bad for them because I really want that team to do well. And, you know, all the history I've read about uh, the EPL and all that and, 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 you know, English soccer generally, like Newcastle should be a top six club regularly not in the you know very rare circumstances that they have been in mike ashley has been a very and as minnesota soccer as sports fans you all know we've had some particularly miserly owners and mike ashley seems like the most miserly of those owners so yeah newcastle definitely deserves better and getting rid of mike ashley is a win getting MBS in his stead is somehow turning a surefire win into a loss. So uh, quick look up on uh, Henry Maurice. It sounds like uh, what Claire TV does is a lot of like content distribution partnerships. So if you watch TV in places where TV didn't used to be like hospitals or gas stations, that's probably their product. Ah, so most of his, that's what he does now. Most of his fortune came from uh, the credit card industry. Uh, looks like he sold a company to MasterCard. So, well, that's not hey, look, it, it could be a hell of a lot worse. So, yeah, more power to him. He didn't did, like murder somebody in an embassy. So, so there's it's a low, it's a low bar, and somehow his takeover bid is the only one to clear it. Yeah. If if Saudi Arabia can finally grant women the right to drive cars, anything is possible. That's true. We can all hope for broader reforms. <laughs> all right. Uh, Bundesliga. Um, we're not going to go through every Bundesliga game. Um, I just want to highlight the Bundesliga protests. Uh, so 
MJ and I talked about this a little bit last week of the Jaden Sancho uh, um, Termian uh, and then uh, Western McKinney uh, protests for George Floyd. Um, but there was a, a significantly larger um, protest for the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, Dorman Hertha took a knee before the match. Um, Black Lives Matter armbands were, were portrayed on several teams, including Bayern Munich. Uh, anti-racism pre-match shirts. Bayern and Dortmund both had them. And uh, actually, literally, I was watching a um, Bundesliga 2 match this afternoon, and they all knelt before the match. So this is a, you know, a really important thing that's moving throughout the throughout the world, which is pretty, pretty fucking cool. Yeah, no. it was all... Go ahead, MJ. Many times sports and athletes are, are ahead of the culture. You know, you look at things like Jackie Robinson and, you know, Jim Brown and other things in the United States, uh, political atmosphere around civil rights and what have you. Um, not that long ago, Germany won a World Cup and there were a bunch of fans that, that were basically disliking the team because it wasn't German enough. You know, they had Eastern European and, and, and Turkish and African immigrants families, you know, still German, and, and they didn't like that until they won the World Cup. And, and that kind of, you know, I think France had a similar sort of thing where, you know, the North Africans and Africans that, that played on the, on the French team, there were a bunch of people, and then they won the World Cup, and then, like, a lot of that talk goes away. The unfortunate thing is there are still a lot of citizens in these European countries that uh, have very, very um, xenophobic or fear of the other sorts of viewpoints. And I think the players are recognized that it's not just the United States problem, but it's a problem within their own countries as well. Yeah. It has been awesome to see how outspoken athletes have been. Um, Bundesliga athletes, U.S. athletes, it feels like Whereas with previous times, there's been a hesitancy to speak out for very, very good reasons, because you can lose sponsorships over this. You can lose your team support, and those things are very dangerous. It feels like athletes are really now seeing themselves as leaders in the movement. I think that's awesome. Um, one I will highlight is Jaden Sancho, who uh, had, uh, had the shirt that said uh, Justice for George Floyd on it. Um, he reposted uh, the mural that's on talisman caps. Uh, so Talisman commissioned a, mur a mural of Jaden Sancho with his shirt that said Justice for George Floyd on the side of their building and put it on their Instagram and, and uh, Jaden shared that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, super cool. Um, I mean, no really, uh, I mean, yes, the, the biggest surprise in Bundesliga was Freiburg beating uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach uh, one nothing, um, And then uh, I don't know if you guys watched the Augsburg Cologne game um, on Sunday, but I I, was, I watched it on Sunday and then I literally just rewatched it all all like all day today. Uh, it was a one-one game and no goals were scored before the like, 80th minute. But it was a really fun fucking game. I, I think it's this was a not a particularly uh, great weekend for scoring in German soccer. German soccer, obviously well known for its its uh, goal scoring and uh, the pace though, of German soccer. Um, lots of one nothing, one one, you know, two nothing games, but uh, 
you know, that Augsburg Cologne game was just literally back and forth, up and down, and uh, really highlights what awesome German soccer is. So, um, anything else on on the Bundesliga before we jump to uh, MJ and his K League update? It kind of felt like quality was down this game week. Um, nobody really looked like world beaters. Bayern looked pretty good, um, but even they didn't look up to their own standards. Dortmund struggled. Um, it could just be one of those league-wide things. Um, there was a lot of rain this weekend that could be playing into it. I do wonder if fatigue is starting to catch up with these guys. They're playing multiple games a week. They're not really used to doing that. It's not the way Germany does their schedule typically. So I hope I hope this was a blip and we're not seeing fatigue start to set in because I think they still have four game weeks left. And if this was the best quality of those four, the last one is going to be dire as hell. <laughs> All right, MJ. Tell us about K-League. You're on mute. My bad. Uh, K-League won, or is in Korea in Korean, K-League won. Uh, the way you say won in Korea is Hana, is Hana um, but they don't call this league K-League Hana. They call it K-League won, so. All right. Very Western influence on the name. I have no problems with that since I speak English way better than I speak Korean. Um, FC Seoul loses one to four at home uh, to Junbuk Hyundai Motors. Now, some people may say this is because Junbuk Hyundai is the best team and they've been dominant in the league and they're the table toppers. Or you could say it's because FC Seoul didn't have enough sex dolls in the stands. One or the other. Um, <laughs> The other big premier uh, matchup of the weekend was fourth place uh, hosting second place, Pohang Sealers hosting Ulsan Hyundai. And uh, Ulsan Hyundai put the beat down on the Pohang Sealers four to nothing as, as visitors. Um, I kind of feel like I have to mention Sunday, Sunday, Sunday upsets, where uh, – the eighth place uh, Suwon Blue Wings lost 0-1 to the newly promoted and last place uh, Guangzhou. And uh, also third place Xiangnam loses 1-2 to, uh, to Daegu, who were in ninth. Um, so that's going to shift the table a bit. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole table down or anything like that. Uh, um uh, Guangnam moves into third place. Um, uh, Pohang Sealers drop down to sixth uh, from fourth. Those were kind of the big shifts in the, in the top half of the table. Week one, the, the home sides went 4-1 and, and 1. And this week, week five, they went 0-1 and 5. So there's a huge shift that's been going on and I'm not going to break down all the math for you, but every week the home teams have been winning less. So it'll be interesting to see again, how this plays out for the rest of the league. Um, obviously not having fans of the Sands, I believe is a huge part of this. Um, over the, the total for the last five weeks, uh, the home teams are 10, nine draws and 11 losses, 10 wins, nine draws and 11 losses. Um, that's significantly down from, from last year. So um, 
we'll we'll see where it is when it's all done. Um, if you don't have time or don't have a way to watch the K League, check out the highlights there on YouTube. All right. Um, so some other leagues. Uh, so we have a lot of soccer coming back really quick. Um, Austria kicked off uh, their Bundesliga for the uh, first first week back. And uh, can we just say Jesse Marsh kicks some fucking ass? Um, that America. That's awesome. Jesse has Black Lives Matter armband on his white shirt. There's a white armband, Black Lives Matter written on it, wore on his shirt the entire fucking game. He was, it was amazing. And his team won like nothing. So his pump up speech, uh, it's like half in German, half in English, that he gave at halftime of their match against Liverpool remains like my all time favorite pump up speech. Yeah, even ahead of the one in Miracle. Especially yeah. when he turns to the, the assistant coach and goes, Vizakman, get stuck in, which is German for, how do you guys say, get stuck in? And it's just this amazing moment. I think about it like twice a week. Yeah, he's going to be managing in the Bundesliga very, very soon. And there's rumors about Dortmund, so. Oh, that'd be sweet. We'll see. Uh, there's the German to Liverpool pipeline, so I'm very excited <laughs> about that. Oh. Um <laughs> Uh, La Liga is back on uh, Thursday, uh, starting June 11th. Uh, Sevilla, Real Batista. Are you guys? Do you guys are familiar? You follow La Liga at all, other than Leo Messi? A little bit. In Piquito. Piquito. I, I, fo- I follow Barcelona and, and Valencia. Okay. You know, very, very, just a little bit. So, uh, Syria is back around the same time as uh, the EPL, June 20th, um, and then. Uh, any any thoughts on Syria coming back? It's just not that interesting with Juventus already having wrapped up the title. Yeah, like Syria is fun to watch. I recommend Torino and some other teams, but like, I don't know. There's no drama in the league. There is. There actually is uh, for like the fourth and final Champions League spot. Roma and Atalanta are like separated by like two points, I think. So there is actually some a little bit of drama if you are into uh, crappy Italian football. I'm more interested to see all the uh, hopefully anti-racist things that go on in that league. Again, hoping that the athletes are are smarter than some of the fan fan bases. But um, yeah, that's hoping that there's kind of a wake up call in regards to a lot of the fan behavior there. You know, speaking I, of, I'll throw I'll throw this on there. This is our promise a quick note. Uh, Serie C closed their season uh, today and. Uh, promoted a couple of teams, one of which is owned by Silvio Berlusconi. Uh, but notably... Bunga himself. Yeah, yeah. So he's up in Serie Bunga Bunga now. Um, <laughs> but the other team, one of the other teams that got promoted uh, is setting up potentially the first Sicilian Derby in, I want to say, like 10 years. And the last time they staged this match, the hooliganism got so bad they killed a cop. So there is... There is interest but also very serious concern about potentially having a Sicilian Derby again next year down even though it's in Serie B instead of Serie A. Son of a bitch. All right. Uh so Lee Emekis um so it was it was very much rumored and everybody kind of thought it was happening but it, apparently it fucking happened. Um, the Morelia Monarchus officially became Mazatlan FC uh, today because they uh, basically the Mazatlan FC took over the Morelia Twitter feed 
and put out some pretty fucking terrible uh, Twitters about basically like anybody who can jump, who anybody who wants to jump on board, jump on board. Um, if you are not a fan, you can go overboard. Basically, encourage people to like jump overboard if they are not a fan. Um, they took over the Morelia Twitter feed and became Mazalan FC. Um, uh, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. That was rumored, but apparently it actually fucking happened. Um, I'm really pissed off as a Morelia fan, a a lifelong uh, of one year Morelia fan. Uh, <laughs> but I actually I really did enjoy watching them and following them um, for this last year. I found their I found their jersey in a serendipitous spot uh, when I was looking for a Liga MX team, and now I need to look for a new Liga MX team. Although. Apparently there's a a uh, plan for them to join um, the second division of League MX and win promotion in two years, even though League MX Isn't Pro Rel suspended for five. Yeah, but apparently I, I was talking to a friend of mine um, who's like, yeah, but it's if they have money, they'll just buy into it because it's it's Mexico, it's fucking corrupt as shit. So um, I will I will say. The, the Mazelon FC has a really awesome, a really awesome crest and some really cool colors that I would love to support if they didn't just steal their fucking team from the, the team that I was supporting. Um, as someone who's a Twins fan and a North Stars fan, I know how, like, how easy it is for like, someone to steal your team or potentially steal your team. So I'm a, I'm a little bit, I can't support Mazelon, you know, even though I would really love to wear like the purple and, and like gray and black jersey that they have and the crest is fucking amazing. But I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. So, uh, and then finally, uh, for the uh, European side, the UEFA uh, tournament of tournaments is a thing um, that they are going to do. Uh, Champions League was supposed to happen in uh, Turkey this year in Istanbul. Uh, and basically, the um, now that all almost all of the European uh, leagues have assigned dates to play their matches, uh, Champions League is proposing a mini tournament um, in Lisbon in Portugal. Uh, Portugal has not has much of the COVID as other places. I know Germany is hoping, uh, and and I think it's. Um, Frankfurt especially is hoping for the European, you know, the Europa League uh, tournament to happen there. But UEFA is making Champions League uh, proposals for August. So once teams are done with their uh, domestic seasons, they'll be able to jump into Champions League, finish that off before we start a new season in 2020-2021. Uh, so uh, do you guys have any thoughts on any of that? It has this feeling of American sports kind of first do your league, then play a tournament or playoffs. Uh, yeah. Which, even though I appreciate both styles, I probably prefer the European model. I'm really excited about this. And it, I mean, assuming the leagues can wrap up and players are healthy, they survive the gauntlet that is this very dense uh, scheduling. If they can survive that, then uh, seeing a bunch of – not having to wait two weeks to see another Champions League or a European uh, matchup between two clubs that don't normally get to play each other, I mean, uh, that, that sounds amazing. 
Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm all for this. Um, honestly, I'm assuming tickets are going to be pretty easy to come by, and I would strongly th- like, I would think about going over because you know the games are going to be amazing. Lisbon's a hell of a city. You know, flights are dirt cheap right now. But man, I, didn't, I do not want to be stuck in a metal tube for what's probably a six or seven hour flight with recycled air. But it, like, the thought would cross my mind. I would be, I would be interested in that. Yeah. Who has broadcast rights? Do we know? Uh, it's still the... The Champions League right holders? Champion, like, yeah. Uh, we can report Turner. Yeah. Turner, yeah. Yep. So, but theoretically, there won't be a ton of sports going on. They may actually move all this shit onto TNT and TBS, which would be fucking great, right? Which they should have done in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. So, moving on to uh, American soccer, NWSL. So, this was reported uh, out of a European spot. Um, Rapino is apparently not playing in the NWSL tournament. And I was listening to um, the Grant Wall podcast uh, earlier today. And, I mean, we may – Megan Rapinoe winning the World Cup might have been the last time we've ever seen Megan Rapinoe play soccer. Because legitimately, um, you know, she's not playing in this tournament is, you know, good confirmation apparently. And – I don't know, like, she would try to play, I would assume she would try to play if they could win gold in the Olympics, but there's also a very, very real possibility that the Olympics won't happen because there won't be a vaccine yet, and, you know, so, I don't know, do you guys have any thoughts on that? It sucks that she's going to go out on top without the fanfare of having gone out on top. Yeah, I mean, she uh, one golden boot, uh, one golden ball. She'll see, she would be literally going out, you know, John Elway style, but even better than John Elway because she won fucking everything on the way out the door. But she's, but she's a legend. A- There's, I mean, what's not to like about her? I mean, but the, yeah, it, it'll it'll be sad if she, especially especially if the Olympics are either canceled next year or completely uh are, are postponed so late that that we don't have a vaccine and and for whatever reason she can't make that trip or can't make that team um yeah if she doesn't get to play in one more olympics that would be a bummer um on the other side of of that the nwsl tournament um they so there's a story in on uh, NBC Sports that they the people holding that tournament actually reached out and consulted to the players with kids already. I mean, I feel like that should have been a thing that was like the first thing you fucking did, but apparently it wasn't the first thing they did. Um, but that's a good sign. It sounds like they're they're trying to be accommodating of uh, families. For, for this tournament and, you know, go back to last week's podcast for my actual feelings on Deloitte Hansen and all that bullshit. Uh, final thing for uh, international soccer, the USSF, um, they have, so there's two things. Um, Amazon has acquired the rights to t- uh, Tim Howard film. Uh, the people who produced 
the movie Miracle with uh, Kurt Russell are on the production of that film. And apparently it's supposed to, to revolve around his like uh, European stint. So do you guys have any thoughts on a Tim Howard biopic? Now? Obviously I'm a huge Tim Howard fan, Everton player. You would be. Yeah, Everton player, US US Men's National League goalkeeper. Um it yeah, if they don't include the sixteen save take uh Belgium into overtime uh World Cup match, I'll be sad, but but this is not a documentary, right? This is uh this, doesn't seem like it is, no. It's yeah, just, yeah. So this is gonna uh, be like some historical you know, Hollywood dramatized version of Tim Howard's story. So, um, who's playing Tim Howard? Yeah, my first question is, who's going to fucking play Tim Howard? And my well, second question is, are they going to fucking talk about his Tourette's? They gotta. Like, good question. I mean, could, uh, you, could you age down Vin Diesel? What did yeah. you just say? <laughs> down Vin Diesel? For Tim Howard? No. <laughs> who'd, you, who'd you have as, as as Tim Howard? Someone who's African American. Okay, go. I haven't thought about this at all. This is the first time I'm reading this, so yeah. I, I mean, I misread it. I really thought it was a biopic. In which Nate case, Rock like... Johnson. <laughs> Age him down. That that's a better choice, David. That's a better choice than Vin Diesel and blackface playing Tim Howard. I was not arguing that Vin Diesel should be in blackface, buddy. Um, okay, no, I, I understand. I understand. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, think about what's going around you in the world, David, and and make better choices. I mean, okay. Uh, um, all right. Uh, the other, the other big news out of USSF is that they're considering a ban on their ban of uh, kneeling for the anthem. So, how how fucking wrong was uh, the USSF when they proposed this uh, thing after Megan Rapinoe tried to take a knee during the national anthem? I mean, mega wrong, mega fucking wrong, slightly wrong. Did they apologize for that today? No. I mean, not that I saw. I saw Roger Goodell put out an apology, but I didn't this, see any from, from, from the USSF. Uh, I won't get into it, but it is 100% worth everyone's time to look up how Roger Goodell apology happened um, because the, the story of it is really interesting and it involved league employees back channeling with players. And it was really, really cool, but it's a long story. Yeah. Um, no, you know what it is. So they, the USSF has not issued the apology yet. However, uh, the players of the US women's national team players association has called on them to issue an apology to black players and supporters because of the anthem policy. So once again, the U.S. women's players are badass as hell and we should all bow down to them because they're amazing. 
Hundred percent. MJ, do you have anything or? Uh, just a reminder that that to try to mitigate this issue, the U.S. Soccer Federation decided to put in a policy that the anthem would be played before players took the field. Um, and Rupino yeah. cho chose not to fight that policy, but just that's how much of the, of dicks about this that the U.S. Soccer Federation were was. Well, we'll just. Sorry, go ahead. We'll we'll just take care of this whole freedom of speech or you know players wanting to do this during the anthem. Um, we're, they're just not going to be out on the field when the anthem plays. So. Yeah. Which they can only control like during the domestic leagues. Like they can't control it during international competitions. Um, but yeah, there's there's some some crazy uh, stats for like what you would like how many games you'd be suspended if you if you knelt. I think it was three games for your first suspension, twelve for your second suspension. So it'll be I'll be interested to see what what happens once we actually are able to play international games again. Um, so we'll fly over to United News, uh, and so Minnesota United. When we last recorded this podcast, had not put out a statement. Um, Re the George Floyd uh, situation and and all the protesting everything um they had highlighted a lot of the players in the in the in the system um including jacory hayes and Ikapara and all that um they did put out a statement they did put out a a uh, a guide a really good a really actually a really good guide of where to donate how to protest things like that um we've been i've I, we i have been very critical of this team in terms of their responses to things. And I will say that this was good. Was it later than I hoped it would be? Yes. But when they actually came out with it and, and what they did in the meantime, what they did in the interim of like uh, amplifying uh, their African-American players' voices, that's great. And what they ultimately ended up doing, or doing was great. Um, so that's all that's, I, I want to say that I want to put that out there. Like we're not, I'm not a complete asshole. We're not complete assholes. Um, when this team does something well, we'll say they did something well. I think they did this well. Again, I will say just a little bit later than I hoped they would, but I, I understand why they waited. And um, I think it ultimately like amplified voices. So I'll, I'll leave it to you guys. MJ, do you want to go first? You made a really good point about, you know, in the meantime, while they were crafting a statement or what have you, amplifying voices of their players, you know, and especially the players of color, and that's fucking amazing. We we love that. Um, I think I speak for all of us here that um, as much as we loathe sometimes when the team is the MJ of MLS and just late to things, you know, better to get it right, better to take the time to, to get it right than be fast on the, on, on the social media and just make complete asses out of yourself. Um, so I'll take it. Yeah, honestly, I, when I saw what their strategy was of amplifying players' voices, I was a little bit disappointed. They segued into here are places that, that you can concretely donate, here's how to protest, all that kind of stuff. I was really okay with that. I don't need the the canned statement if you're going to show me action steps. 
Um, so really having a, a really solid statement was icing on the cake. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had the chance to participate in writing a couple or helping write a couple of statements and it's, it's hard to get right. It gets really, really challenging. So, um, full credit to them. I think they did the right thing here, um, and are continuing to do the right thing. I know we'll, we'll talk about the, uh, benefit concert they did with Charlie Parr. Um, I am hopeful, although perhaps not totally optimistic that this will really spur them into engaging more with the surrounding community. Um, I think that's, it, it may happen. Um, but even if this is just a self-contained event, full credit to them. I think they did a really good job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As someone who also runs social media accounts, like it's, it's fucking hard. Um, especially as white dudes to like engage in these conversations and we absolutely need to be doing that. So um, yeah. So let's talk about the uh, Charlie Parr concert uh, at Allianz last night uh, that was raising money for him and uh, I had it pulled up. So there was a Charlie Parr concert at Allianz last night that was raising money for George Floyd Memorial Fund. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And and Project for Pride and Living. Yep. And if you go to the Minnesota United's website, you can watch video from the concert and they have links right there for you to donate to both of those organizations. Excellent. Did it, and you guys watch that at all or I, did uh, I was I did not. But Charlie Parr is fucking incredible on, on the guitar, so... Yeah, I mean, I've seen enough Charlie Parr. I don't need to listen to much more washboard playing. <laughs> but good good on, good on them. Um, the other thing I'll say with Minnesota United um, is that they did announce they have a, <clears throat> a T-shirt uh, that is Minnesota colon United period um, where all the profits are going to the Neighbors United Funding Collaborative. So uh, the team is, you know... They're doing uh, some pretty amazing stuff, uh, all things considered. Um, maybe not as quickly as we would love them to, but you know, not everybody gets there at the same way. So um, good for them. Because when they first else? when they first put out that T-shirt, I totally missed the colon, and I was like, "Wow, this seems like you know, good on them for donating the money to charity." Little weird that they didn't do anything with the design, and it wasn't until like two days later. That's like, oh, actually, this is really cool. I actually really like this, and I felt like a big dumbass. Yeah, it yeah, it, <laughs> it was very subtle. It was very subtle, but good on them. Like you know, I I missed this. Someone want to kill me? So they're, the they're selling a, a very very simple T-shirt um, that says Minnesota United, but instead of there's a colon after Minnesota and a period after United, so it's. Minnesota is united is right. the implication. Yeah. But if you don't see the colon there, it just looks like a team, like a random piece of team merch that yeah. then they're just kind of yeah. randomly it's donating. Very, which is, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily help. So, um, uh, but you know, the other thing, the team, they did open up their uh, uh, parking lots for works, people who were volunteering at Bethlehem. Um, oh yeah. Uh, so I mean the team has been I mean they've been they've been it's it's been a thing and obviously this is a thing and we're all like trying to figure out all that stuff so um, 
got to give the team credit where they're doing the things that they should be doing. So, um, MJ, Minneapolis City. Tell us a little about Minneapolis City. Well, just a reminder from last week that they have been partnering with the Simpson Food Shelf, and that's been going well. And it's been going so well that they basically said, you know, we're going to kind of do our own thing and be our own food shelf, essentially. Like, Simpson's like, yeah, thanks for the help. But, you know, they, Simpson Food Shelf was getting help from other organizations as well. And so Minneapolis City said, well, if you don't need our help as much, we'll just convert our club shop or the outside of our club shop into donation collections and uh, we'll distribute the food ourselves. And so they partnered with uh, a youth futsal academy, TC Soul Futsal, to volunteer and basically help bring in donations, bag them up and set them out and then deliver them to uh, families in need, which I think is incredible. Uh, From my understanding, they're doing that for at least the next four weeks. Like they're just gonna be doing it every Saturday. Which is awesome, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like um, they've gotten a lot of uh, you know, other soccer teams, other soccer fans to uh, give them credit for work they're doing in the community. Their shop is in South Minneapolis. So they're, they work and live, some of them live in South Minneapolis. Some of them used to live in South Minneapolis. They care about that community a lot. It's good to see that. Speaking of their club shop, their, their wing kit is, is back in stock. Um, no sooner did I find this out that I got a follow-up uh, tweet that said that the mediums and larges are all sold out. However, they're still taking orders for them. So unlike a pre-order where, you know, you have to get in on the pre-order, otherwise you don't get it. Uh, you can order mediums and larges. They just won't come to you as fast as a small, extra large, double X or triple X. Cool. Uh, our Florida Madison segment, um, the USO League One, we're not 100% sure when they're going to come back. Um, they did vote on coming back um, probably after July 11th. Uh, so if you support Madison, um, buy all of their shit, including that drip kit. Buy that drip kit. If you um, have enough money and you want to buy me a drip kit, please uh email me or text me or DM me and I will uh, figure, tell you where to uh, send that drip kit to. So, um, all right. So to the end, guys, to the end, unless you guys have anything else. Nope. Nothing. <laughs> um, tips, tricks, and treats to survive the Rona. Um, MJ, what do you got? Uh, so... I've been watching a lot of Bon Appetit YouTube videos. They're incredible. Um, though having watched more and more of them, it was obvious to me that uh, over time they started including more people of color as their cooks in front of the camera, which I'm thinking this is great, right? Rather than having all these just very, very well-to-do chefs or food industry people who are white in that can afford to live in New York city, um, be in front of your cameras, like get more voices. You're making food from various different backgrounds and cultures. Get these cultural people in there as well. 
and not just have white people talking about that food. And basically I've been slowly getting a more and more positive vibe from watching their videos. However, one of the uh, chefs uh, whose first name is Sola, she is of Indian background and she just put on her Instagram this week that basically the people of color that were in front of the camera, even though they're getting paid to write articles and pay, being paid for other sorts of roles that basically the white chefs that were in front of the camera get like a camera bonus, get a, you know, a video appearance bonus and the people of color didn't which seems like a really antiquated uh, business practice for the year 2020. So she's kind of outed them on Instagram, gotten tons of more fan base because of it. Um, they're call, there are several people calling for certain managers at Bon Appetit to, to be um, ousted. And I will be very interested as a, as a food nut and a fan of their video content to see where this goes. They fired their executive editor already. They did? Yeah, the guy who, who there was a published photo of in brown face. Yeah, he was fired this afternoon. Good news. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but moved shockingly fast for how long these things usually take. Well, yeah, and I, I just still can't believe that you make, I mean, so I come from Minnesota where so much of, I feel like racism is not in your face and not spelled out in black and white. Um, no pun intended, that that you have these very sort of subtle ways that you try to negate certain voices and elevate other voices. Um, it's weird just like in the year 2020 that, yeah, these people, because of the way they look, are, are getting more money for this. And not just more money, they're getting some money and these people are getting none. Um, so anyway, uh, that's all I got to go on. All right, Dan? Um, uh, notably uh, less dire, I uh, binged all three seasons of Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, which is on Netflix, and I highly recommend it. Fucking nerd. Yeah, huge, huge nerd. Um, I've, been I've been trying to tell you this, like every podcast, huge fucking nerd. Um, yes, it's a children's show. Honestly, we love the hell out of it. So well done. Um, really, really visually beautiful very well executed uh highly love that uh the other thing it's been uh filling up a lot of time i uh finally sucked it up plugged my ps3 back in and i'm about a sixth of the way through a complete mass effect playthrough so i mean i can we can just pencil this in for the next like three months because i gotta get through three games so i'm not playing andromeda fuck that shit all right so yeah video games and anime or, or what, what? <laughs> uh oh, fuck you guys um i bought a uh, i bought a pool for my kids so i've been hanging out my pool that's pretty fucking awesome it's that is like awesome 97 degrees outside go hang out in a pool with your kid especially you know now that you've now that uh ragnar can walk on his yeah. own he can now learn how to walk on water so this is I'm yeah. not. I'm not uh, comparing my kid to Jesus. Okay. Um, Yahweh, yes. Yahweh, maybe <laughs> not Jesus. All right, let's move on to our 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 final segment. Shit on the cribs. 
Um, that so guy. Last. Did you did you guys see? He posted a picture on his uh, on his uh, Twitter of uh, his underage children driving a, a a boat. I'm just gonna say, good on him. That's not that's not a shit on. Good on him. I mean, if I had 14 year olds who could drive a boat where I could drink and smoke weed while they were driving the boat, I would do that in a fucking heartbeat. So this is a this is a good on the cribs segment, not a shit on the cribs. You guys have anything else to add to to good on the cribs? I just think it's smart to to start them while they're young. You know, the more that you can teach them about about driving a boat safely before you become, you know, complete uh drunk and foolish you know do that do that while you still can all right uh please rate and review our podcast wherever you get this podcast if it's on uh stitcher or uh apple itunes days patreon.com backslash days i know today's i know dot if you want to get on the newsletter at TDAKMN on Twitter. That's our Twitter handle. I'm at Texas LR. Dan's at D Wade. MJ's at MJ Matsui. Bill, who is apparently going to be on the podcast eventually at some point, once again, at Bill underscore McGuire. Um, you can always find us at those places. Uh, please, please. We are the names we know. As you do yours, land here, become feet, con. Yeah, uh, we, we do yeah. our thing, son. Through the act, we attract two, hope to reach one. Uh, we, yeah. we, we do our thing, do it. We do our thing, son. Some will paint a piece, some will spray with a machine gun. It's mad work to be done. We, we, we do our thing, son. Y'all know we can't do nothing at all.